The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast here on YesNetwork.com. And don't forget, it's downloadable on the iTunes for free 99. It's at Doug William Yes, at Chris Sheeran Yes, and we are coming at you. That was, that was very nice. Wasn't very it? nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud to have you as a co-host oh, right boy. now. <laughs> What a way to start the show. But uh, Doug and I, as we always do, talk about the world of New York sports. And uh, we'll give you a little Yankees. They're about to start the 2014 season, as we all know. Spring training winding down. I'll be there next week for the last two games against the Pirates and the Marlins. Uh, All the stories should be wrapping up by then. (laughs) We should know who's made the team and who is not. And if any trades are going to go down, uh, we'll, we'll probably find that out next week. And we'll talk about someone who might be traded. Uh, we'll talk about that. When we talk about the Yankees. The Knicks are also uh, making New York city basketball relevant. Again, it's not just the Nets who are hot to trot here in the city. Uh, they've won. Uh, they're looking for 11 straight at home. Uh, they've won 10 straight. They have the Celtics tonight and uh, we'll see if they can keep things rolling. If that W train still parks its way under Atlantic uh, Avenue and uh, what's the other road? Atlantic and... I don't know. I'm always lost. Oh, God. Flatbush. Atlantic and Flatbush. How many times am I there? And I I can't remember Flatbush Avenue. But we'll see if uh, they can pick up another W tonight. And that's where I want to start. I want to start with the uh, Brooklyn Nets because, golly, 25 and 10 since January 1st. That's the top record in the Eastern Conference. And, you know... When Brooke Lopez goes down, when Kevin Garnett hasn't played the past 10 games, and tonight it'll be the past 11 games, you really look at this team and you wonder, because early on, Doug, when Brooke was healthy, when Garnett was healthy, and they had their starting five on the floor, who who have only played a total of 90 minutes and changed the season together, which is unbelievable to think about when there's 48 minutes in a game. And uh, you multiply that by two, and if the starters were only on the floor for a literal, you know, two games or a little bit more than two games, and to have this team where they are right now, it just seems to me they were having issues at the outset of the season with smaller athletic teams. And now that's exactly what the Nets are. They're smaller. Can't beat them, join them. Paul Pierce playing the four. Mason Plumley has done a tremendous job at the five, filling in for Garnett. I mean, in the 10 games this guy's missed, the Nets are 8-2 and two with Plumlee at center. Who would have thought that the Nets would be able to turn their season around, but everything we were talking about at the outset of the season, oh, they're getting killed. You know, the Kings ran them off the floor earlier in the year. You know, they're young. They're athletic. The Nets had everybody healthy. What's going on? So now they're giving teams a dose of their own medicine. And they look they look pretty damn good. And, you know, about a month ago, you had cautious optimism, Doug. You were sitting around and you were like, eh, they could, they could get in the playoffs. They can make the first round. They can get a win in the first round, maybe get to the second, make some noise, but that's it. But the way this team is playing right now and the way the defense is playing right now, this is a dangerous team. I'm going to say it. This is a team that could compete for an Eastern Conference title. It can. The way they're playing right now. Yeah, I I think what you said about Mason Plumlee makes a lot of sense because he is not only a big man and a center, but he's very athletic. And um, I remember being at a Nets practice a few months ago and watching him do a drill where he would jump up right underneath the rim. He would jump up and touch the top of the backboard. 
10 times in a row. And like that seems like it's very simple, but that is a lot of leg strength being worked out. Like he didn't even have close to the hops that he has now when he was at Duke. You can see that there's a progression there. So he has been huge for them because they had a gaping hole. Without Garnett, we all thought they don't have a big man without Brooke Lopez, not to mention the fact that Garnett got hurt. Now it's just Blatch, but Plumley has come in and filled a real hole. And I agree with you. I mean, they are big when they have to be, and they're fast and athletic and with Paul Pierce at the four when they have to be as well. So, And, you know, there were some games where Jason Kidd, and he said he doesn't want to do it too much, but he had to go big. And I believe it was the Memphis game where he had Collins and Plumley on the floor at the same time. They beat the Grizzlies at home. The Grizzlies were 7-2 and two themselves coming into that game. They won seven of their past nine games, and that's where we able to hold them off. And mainly because of Marcus Thornton, who shot the lights out. He had like 15, 17 straight points in the third quarter to quell a Grizzlies comeback attempt. And, you know, you just you continue to watch this team. You continue to see how they grow, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I just... I. I didn't think I'd hear myself say this out loud. I knew they'd make the playoffs, obviously. I knew they'd probably compete in the first round, maybe even get a win in the first round. But I didn't think they'd go anywhere past that. But now my my train of thought – and listen, they have three away games next week after this three-game homestand. They're not as good on the road as they are at home. But in March, I think they've only lost two games in March. And we're talking about a win over the Heat. We're talking about a big win over the Raptors back on the 10th of this month. They've beaten Phoenix. They've beaten Charlotte. And one of the key factors, you know, we talk about Mason Plumlee. Paul Pierce has been unbelievable. Uh, Sean Livingston has been tremendous. But this team only goes far if their point guard, Darren Williams, continues to play the way he's playing. And it's not just on the offense. You know, that's what he's known for. Right now. He's doing it at both ends of the floor. I mean, he really looks like the Darren Williams of old. It's almost he's the most important player not only this season but in that franchise because, you know, we've seen him go down with an injury and the Nets haven't gone anywhere. And now that he is really playing well, he talks about getting healthy and getting in a rhythm. That is the key. And and there's nowhere else you have to look if you're wondering where the Nets are going to go or where they've been. Is Darren Williams playing his best basketball, and is he healthy? Well, then the Nets are probably pretty good. That's kind of just the way it works. Yeah, you know, he brought up with the media in February. He was dealing with confidence issues. This was at the outset of February. Uh, Those seem to have gone away. And he also quipped, uh, it's kind of hard to play basketball with two bad ankles. He got the PRP treatments again, the platelet-rich plasma treatments in both ankles. And ever since that happened, just like last year after the All-Star break, he doesn't have the numbers he had last year after the All-Star break, but he's playing a complete game. He's doing it on both ends of the floor, as I mentioned. This team is scary. Now watch them go out and lay an egg against the Celtics like they did two weeks ago up in Boston. I don't expect that to happen tonight. The Nets are just – in sports, Doug, you played – you know. High school, college? Did you play in college? You no. didn't play college, but you played in high school. You played all your life until you got to college. You know, once you get in a mindset, it's kind of hard to get out of that mindset. You might have a, a setback here and there, and this team was like two steps forward, one step back all season. But it seems like even that has gone by the wayside. And, and I brought his name up once. I'll bring it up again. Paul Pierce sets the tone in that locker room. He really brings everybody together, and when the whip needs to be cracked, Paul Pierce is dressed like Indiana Jones. I'm telling you right Right. now. And the team just responds to him. And you talk about the word professional. 
the truth is the truth in so many ways when you bring up that word. He's great in the locker room. He doesn't give you the canned sports answers. He gives you what you want to hear. He gives you the answers. You know, he doesn't pull any punches. He gives you, for lack of being corny, the truth. And I'll I'll tell you one thing, Chris, that I believe about basketball, and it exists both with the Knicks and the Nets right now. I think teams, in order to be really good, need a leader uh, behind closed doors, a leader in the locker room, and a leader on the floor. And if you're both, great. But not a lot of guys qualify as both. The Knicks have struggled this year because they don't have that guy behind closed doors. Carmelo Anthony. Right. (laughs) Used to be Jason Kidd. They don't have that guy. Carmelo Anthony is the leader, but he's the leader on the floor. The Nets have that. They have the guys, Pierce and Garnett, in the locker room. When they get out on the floor, Darren Williams, that's his team. But I don't think Darren Williams is the guy making speeches no, in the locker room. No, It's the veteran leadership that really makes these teams powerful as we get into the spring and summer months and the playoffs. That's what matters is not only do you have leadership on the floor but in the room. Yeah, that's a tremendous point. And you brought up Garnett. And even though he hasn't played the past 10 games, and tonight, as we said, it'll be 11 as we tape this on Friday the 21st. Uh, but – you hear Plumley after the game, Sarah Kustak, you know, talks to the bigs afterwards and you hear what they say. And, he, you know, Plumley brought up the fact that Garnett, even though he's not playing, he constantly tutors Mason Plumley, And you could see it. Garnett is the vocal leader on defense. I've been there. I've seen Garnett on the floor and I see how he barks at everybody and tells everybody where to be. Especially Plumley. <laughs> and if you watch Plumley, he's the same way. Doesn't matter he's a rookie. He's out there. He's captaining that defense. He's telling people where to go, where to be. Hey, here's a pick coming. Here's this. Here's that. It's those little things, those intangibles. Is Plumlee going to fill up the box score? He did have a double-double back on Monday against Phoenix. Is he going to fill it up like that every night? No. He doesn't need to. He just needs to play solid defense. He needs to set some screens on offense. And the offense that he does bring, the rebounding, Everything else is gravy. Well, say what you will about Kevin Garnett, and there are people out there that don't like him, people out there that think he's you know, kind of dramatic, etc. But Mason Plumley was the guy that Kevin Garnett was yelling at for the first three weeks of the year and barking oh, at him yeah. in practice, yeah. teaching him everything he knows. And it makes perfect sense now that Plumley has kind of taken on that trait. It's that next man up that Jason yeah, Kidd exactly. always talks about. And when, when the baton was passed to Plumley to get into the starting lineup, you have to think – all that yelling and screaming that Garnett did at him, as you said, is now key in his development. And, you know, I've talked about it with, with Ian Eagle and Coach Fratello and Jim Spinarkle and Sarah and I have talked about it and Ryan Rucco. Everybody that I talk to, it's that maturation process, watching a rookie. Now, look, is he still rough around the edges? Does he still have to develop? Absolutely. I'm not saying Mason Plumley is the best thing since sliced bread. But right now, he's doing everything he needs to do. As you said, Garnett getting in his face has paid off big time. He's doing everything he needs to do, all the little things to help this team out the way they're built right now. And the way they're built right now is, is very scary. It is. Teams should be taking notice. Now, look, the Pacers, as we discussed in our last podcast, they're deep. You know, you brought it up. Luis Scola is your 12th man. <laughs> You're pretty deep. You know, they, they haven't really had to deal with any injuries this year. They've been able to sit atop the Eastern Conference almost the whole season. Uh, so, you know, do the Nets get 
to a series with the Pacers and sweep them? No, I'm not saying that. But I wouldn't be shocked. I would not be shocked if the Nets beat the Heat in a postseason series. Wow. I would not. I'm wow. saying it right now. And I know you could say all you want about regular season and and how the regular season with the Heat doesn't matter. And I said it the last time we sat here and talked. You know, I'm not going to be taken in by – but the way they match up, the way they – they don't match up against the Pacers. They just don't. But, you know, Paul George, is, is he going to have a shooting night like he had against the Knicks three out of, you know, four, five, six games? Well, that's the thing is that I think if you were to ask the Heat and the Pacers if they would rather face a team like, I don't know, the Raptors or the Wizards – or, you know, one of those teams that's kind of been in it the whole way. It hasn't been terrific at any point, but has just kind of been in the mix in the playoffs. Or the Knicks or the Nets, the charging teams, the mm-hmm. teams that are getting better as the season goes along. I think they would say we'd much rather face a Toronto Raptors team because I think they are already accepting of their season. Well, now you have, now you have the specter of, of Phil Jackson at, at yeah. Madison Square Garden yeah. front and center, and that's a good way to segue to the Knicks here. They've won seven straight. they got another one tonight, as do the Nets, obviously. And, wow, I mean, as a Knicks fan, you, you stand back and you look at this and you say, where was this all season? I mean, what's going on with this team? They beat the Indiana Pacers, and I met, I brought it up, Paul George, you know, just an awful shooting night. But you, you can't blame the Knicks <laughs> for Paul George being off one night. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's seven straight wins any way you slice it. It's their longest winning streak of the season. But Knicks fans, as always, are extremely cautiously optimistic. The only problem, Doug... Because the Hawks, after they dropped like, what was it, 14 of 15 games? Yeah, they were bad there. Have now while. rattled off five, six straight wins. Is it too little too late? It might be. And that's such a sad thing because it's like how much have we heard on talk radio all year long about the the Knicks needing to get hot? And now that they are, you're telling me it's not even going to matter because it's too late? I mean, it's just it is a bummer. And um, the Hawks are getting hot at the right time, too. Yeah. So you can't really just say that about the Knicks. The Hawks are getting hot now. Uh, it is, you know, I, I wasn't in love with the Phil Jackson move at first. I kind of thought it was uh, kind of a stunt. I didn't think it was going to matter. Is he going to be able to get rid of J.R. Smith's contract? Is he going to be able to convince year, Carmelo Anthony that they can win a championship next, next year? Next year's a wash, There's too. certain <laughs> things that he can't do. But if you watch the Knicks play against Indiana, you realized why they brought him in. Yeah. I because mean, everybody is playing for their for their lunch money. You know, you know what I – here. This is what I thought about the minute they hired him. And y- you know this. When the Orioles brought in Buck Showalter a couple years back in August, what did Buck do? Because the Orioles were playing like hot garbage at mm-hmm. that time. Buck made everybody accountable. And Buck basically said – if you want a job here next year, you better start playing like you want a job here next year. So these guys – now look. They know that they're under contract, especially those exorbitant contracts. They're not going anywhere. I mean what can they do? They, they can't trade them. Nobody's going to take these guys. They still have Amari for one more year, correct? Yep. At how much money? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> you too know much. it's a lot when, when you can't even discuss the That's price. expert analysis right yeah, there. Well, too much. Yeah, too much money. Uh, but 
honestly, a, a, me and a bunch of my friends who all grew up fans of the blue and orange, I have to say it, you know, you sit there and you say, yeah, that's great. You brought him in. He's not coaching. Right. He said it in a press conference. I'm too lame to coach. But at the same time, that's a smack in the face to Mike Woodson. Oh, totally. The guy won 54 games last year, and it's not his fault that the guys that they brought in, the the, the, the upper management brought in these guys who are basically, if they made those moves in 2005, the Knicks would be title contenders. But I don't think it matters that it's a slap in the face. To Woodson because not only are the players motivated now to perform under Phil, I think Mike Woodson's motivated. Yeah, they, they all are. If they suddenly get to the end of the season and they have a one-game or in situation and they win and make the playoffs, then maybe Phil Jackson says, I don't know if I could do any better than this guy. I like Mike Woodson. Let's keep him. So everybody should be motivated. It, it's, not, it's not personal. And, uh, again, I was on your side. I was thinking, get Phil Jackson to coach or bust. Otherwise, it's yeah. a waste of money. Yeah. But now I feel like you can motivate a very uh, – I don't know what to call that franchise, but it is for the last 15 years, for almost my entire lifetime, it has just been going nowhere. And by the way, we brought up Atlanta. I just wanted to check this so I was right. Atlanta's a half game behind Charlotte for the seventh seed right now. Yeah, the Knicks are not – cannot just focus on one team. I mean they're just going to have to win. That's all. I mean, I, I'm sick of feeling like this. We felt like this with the Yankees of being like they just have to win every game for the next 18 games to get into the playoffs. It's almost a cruel amount of hope in sports. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and you know, the Rangers, not to bring up hockey just haphazardly, but the Rangers are, you know, a point from being out of the Eastern Conference playoffs. So it's uh, like I'm considering not I, <laughs> I'm considering not watching them tonight because I honestly feel like I'm cursed. I am a cursed individual. Oh boy. It, it'll get better. It'll get better before it gets worse. Think about hey, just for a second. Think about the Phoenix Suns, okay? They are 10 games over 500. They are 39 and 29. They are a half game better. Then the three seed Toronto Raptors in the East, and they are out of the Western Conference. Oh, and the T Wolves. T Wolves are three games over five hundred and don't have a shot. They don't have a, a snowball's chance in hell. They're thirty four and thirty three. They're six games behind the Mavericks. The Suns are the Suns are a game and a half behind the Mavericks for that eight spot. And the it, Mavs, it, what's the Mavs record? They're the, the Mavs they're are the... forty one and twenty eight, <laughs> and they're the eight seed. <laughs> Yeah, they're the eight. Now, Devin Carparian, who, who's at the BrooklynGame.com and, and who has been on um, BK Connect with us throughout the year on the pregame show with Rod Boone as well. But Devin tweeted out something that I thought, you know, half jokingly, I think he was saying it. Maybe he was serious. I kind of looked at it and I said, you know what? He's right. He's absolutely right. He hit the nail on the head. He brought up. As I see a youngster with a Duke jersey on walking down the steps at the Tennessee UMass game. I'm sorry, but Duke just lost. And my co-host is a huge Duke fan. Oh, man. I didn't have a dog in the fight. So my brackets are just brackets. You know, I had Duke going to the Elite Eight, so that screws my Elite Eight a little bit. I only have six teams left of my Elite Eight. I should have given everyone participating in the billion-dollar bracket my my bracket to have them copy the opposite of what I did. 
<laughs> that would have been the nicest and most humane thing of me to do. Well, I be think, to say, pick the opposite yeah, of what I did. I think Mercer beating Duke uh, blew up a lot of those billion-dollar brackets if they had a perfect bracket going in. Because it's simultaneous I, combustion, though. It means yeah, every, it yeah, happened to everybody. I don't, think, I don't think a lot of people pick Mercer unless they let their five-year-old pick their brackets. But anyway, I digress. What were we talking about? <laughs> I think we were talking Devin talking about the Western Conference. He, yeah. You were bringing up a tweet that he, he Oh, Devin Carparity. Let me tell you about the tweet as I go off on a tangent there. Too much listening to Opie and Anthony because that's all they do for crying out loud. But anyway, uh, Carparian tweets out, I think if a Western Conference team is out of the playoff picture and they have better (laughs) records than the later seeds in the East, they should usurp those teams and take those playoff spots in the East. Now, at first, I kind of chuckled. But then I said, you know what? He's right. The Western Conference, can we agree or disagree that the West is better than the East? As a whole, it is. Doesn't mean that the East won't bring the team, you know, won't bring the title home. No, 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 because they have two of the top right. teams in that, the league. That's the thing. You're They're right. top heavy. You're right. They are top heavy. But top to bottom, the West. Yes. I'm just I bring that up because these teams that are fighting for those playoff spots play those teams more. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's a very competitive conference, whereas the East Let's face it, before the season started, I mean, when ESPN, I'm sorry, but when ESPN in December is is in Indiana for a Pacers heat game, you know who who the top seeds in the East are going to be. Isn't that so? It's so weird about the NBA. It's it's almost as if what we talk about ends up coming true. I'm not talking about. Doing a game because that's what they do. I'm talking about Sports Center. Oh yeah, down in Miami or over in Indiana. I mean, it's to me, it's overkill. But at the same time, I get it. ESPN gets it. They know who's going to do well in the East. Why not make a big deal out of it? I, it, it? It's a big story every time they meet. So, but I'm telling you right now, before we transfer to baseball, I'm telling you right now, the Nets don't sleep on the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm telling you this, too. The more noise the Nets make in the playoffs, the more pressure is going to be on the New York Knickerbockers, number one. Number two, if they don't make the playoffs, oof. But I'm telling you this, too. If the Knicks make any kind of moves while the Nets are moving along in the playoffs, guess who's going to be on the back page? Oh, gonna, yeah. It's not going to be the Nets. By the way, the Nets uh, just beat the Miami Heat in seven games. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but the Knicks hired Steve Kerr to coach their team. <laughs> oh my that, god! That, that'll be you exactly know what it's it gonna is. happen. Oh, totally. You know they're gonna try if if they don't make the playoffs and the Nets beat the Heat. Mike Woodson, sorry about your luck. I try to mold my goatee after yours. <laughs> I color the hell out of it. Mike Woodson's was dark as night. I, I think his Mike, goatee. I think Woody's goatee follows yours me on was Twitter. Almost as dark, right? <laughs> well, I just for men gel, right? Of course, free, free plug on the Chris Sheeran Show podcast. But uh, yeah, I you look mean, into Woody's mustache or goatee, you see your soul. I, mean, I do, yeah, dark. It is, and and it's the coverage and the yes. trimage. I mean, it's perfect, big time, like area and circumference. Oh my that. god, that thing is perfect. It's a thing of beauty, and I try to mold it after yours, but it's not as good as yours. I'll yeah, I could see the back headline of the paper saying, uh, in the bottom right corner, it says Nets beat Nets limit LeBron to zero for twenty. Win, win game, win game seven. seven, and then the front page is Steve Kerr in and Mike Woodson out. out yeah, oh boy, 
New York basketball. You know, it's true. Yep. It's sad but true. It, 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 we talked about it last time. You know, the Jets are little brothers to the Giants. The Nets are little brothers to the Knicks. The Islanders are little brothers to the Rangers. Uh, oh, and the, throw the Devils in there even though they have three cups. They're like the cousin. Yeah, yeah. Since the Rangers won theirs, they have three. And uh, who am I missing? Oh, the Mets. Not a perfect segue. They're the Mets such are little a little brothers. brother you don't even think of. Yeah, them. the Mets are little brothers to the team we're going to talk about right now. And, and Doug was down there in Tampa, so I'm going to pick his brain. Uh, he was actually – he had his finger on the pulse of this team and what's going on down there. So first things first, I know Kelly Johnson is you know pretty much cementing his, his uh, place at third base. Mm-hmm. And I know you wrote about it or, or did a video about it down there, a player profile. Yeah, yeah. You did a player profile on Kelly Johnson. So just give me a give me a feel. How did he look and, 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 and how do you think he'll fit into this lineup down there? Well, I you know what? I think he looked pretty good. I watched him take grounders at third a few times while I was down there. And, you know, obviously all of these guys have great hands. I mean, even the guys that you say are bad in the field. They're professionals. Are professionals. <laughs> but – you know, he does look pretty good at third. And in a spring training game uh, a few days ago against the Red Sox, he uh, was a slow trickler on the third baseline. He got it and gunned him out at first. He has the arm. He's played the outfield before. And another thing about Kelly Johnson that you don't think of is that he's got uh, one of his long-tenured teammates in Brian McCann, who's also new to New York. And so Kelly Johnson, it, you know, he, it seems as if he does feel comfortable. Um, that always helps. Yeah, and and I they sit together near their lockers and we're just chatting. And um, Teixeira obviously is a former Brave as well. So it's I think it's going to be a good thing for Kelly Johnson. I think a lot of people say, who's their third baseman? You know, it's such a question mark. But the thing is that Kelly Johnson might be able to hit 25 home runs See, in that ballpark. that's the thing I don't get about Yankee fans. Do they remember Scott Brocious? Uh, we say the same thing on the Yes Men all the time. Would Scott Brocious have been a huge question when, mark when, for Yankee fans today? When they brought Scott Brocious in, we were like, Scott Brocious? Who's Scott Brocious? And how many titles yeah. did they win with Scott And Brocious? guess what? I mean, they won titles with a second baseman who couldn't throw the ball to first base. Yankee you, you fans. You make up for yeah, it. Yeah. Yankee fans want a bazooka. At right. every position. You do not need a bazooka at every position. First and foremost, we always say it, you always hear it, and it's the truth. It's Paul Pierce in baseball. Pitching defense wins championships, not bazooka bats at every position in the field. Right. I'm sorry, and, it doesn't. And I think the Yankees would never admit this, but I do think that they kind of followed the Red Sox model, which goes it goes you know, kind of with what you were just saying, which is you don't need a star at every position. You just need a guy who can contribute. And Kelly, Kelly Johnson is is perfect for that. He's he's going to hit 250, but he might give the Yankees 20 to 25 home runs in that ballpark. And generally, the the Red Sox model of last year of winning a championship was that one through nine was a tough a tough guy to face. Right. And say what you will about Brian Roberts. Say what you will about whoever DHs. Say what you will about. Uh, Kelly Johnson, those guys are not easy because everyone, everybody brings something to the table. And um, so I liked what I saw from him. Uh, the Yankees in general, it's a different vibe around this team, obviously, than it was last year because it's a totally different and revamped squad. Uh, I was also there when half the team was in Panama, which was, <laughs> which was you know, so it gives me a little uh, bit of a difficulty to tell you exactly how the whole team is doing. Right. But um yeah, that's the one thing, Chris, that has really bothered me about what I've heard from Yankee fans, uh, at least since this uh, season began. Injuries is a totally 
a totally uh, understandable thing to bring up as far as an issue. But saying that they have question marks at positions when they have players there. You know, the Yankee team was a big question mark last year. We won eighty five last one eighty five games. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. This year they do I I I think maybe the bullpen would be the closest thing to a question mark, but other than right. that, no. And they have players to play each position. Yeah, so. so we discussed last time. That's exactly what the problem was. Uh you know, the strength of this team last year was the bullpen. Anytime you have Mariano Rivera anchoring your bullpen, you're pretty much in good shape. They don't have that this year. So Am I saying David Robertson can't do it? No, of course not. I think he could do it. I think he's capable. He's, you know, his control needs to be better. I mean, they don't call him Houdini for nothing, you know, getting the bases loaded and then getting out of it. He, he's going to have you on the edge of your seat. But I, I really think in the pit of my stomach and in my heart, this kid is is up to the challenge. And, and he has the makeup too. Don't forget, don't lessen this. How many years was he sitting next to Mariano Rivera, seeing how he works, seeing how if he blew a save the next day, it didn't affect him? You know, reporters always tried to get Mo to say something amazing after he blew a save. And Mo just sat there, never too high, never too low, no matter if he saved the game game seven of a World Series or he blew a game in mid-June to the Red Sox. He's always at that even keel. And if Robertson, you know he watched it, but if he could mirror that, I'm not saying he's going to be Mariano Rivera, but if he could mirror that attitude, that persona, that persona, that, you know, that, that cocoon around himself mm-hmm. to just not care if he blows a save and not care if someone on a radio show or someone in a column, you know, is starting to give him, oh, he's not Mo. He's got to block all that out. And if he has that mold of just, you know what, I'm not Mariano Rivera, but I'm going to go into the season. I'm going to handle myself the way Mo did. I don't think the Yankees have to worry. But the bullpen, as you brought up, great thing, great point by you. That's their question mark this year. The lineup is not. Here's another one I want to throw at you, and I know the team was in Panama. I don't want to quiz you too much because I don't know – you know, what what the deal was when you were down there, but something that's floating around. Now, the guy's hitting over 400. I know it's spring. Francisco Cervelli. And listen, this kid, and I call him a kid. He's not really a kid anymore, but I've known him since he was a kid. One of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. One of the hardest workers you ever want to see. And I know he got in with the biogenesis baloney last year. He got the 50-game suspension. I have sympathy for the kid. I do. And if you want to talk down to me about that, you know, how you can give Alex Rodriguez, you know, the business, but, you you know, you're going to back Francisco Cervelli. Listen, Francisco Cervelli is not making 28, 29, $30 million a year, okay? He knows He has to come and he has to battle every spring. And every spring, Doug, since he's been with the organization, has been a struggle. He gets hit in the head. He he, he breaks his wrist. Uh, The the list goes on and on. And then last year, he's finally establishing himself as a true backup catcher. And if you ask me, he could have been the starter. Oh, yeah. The way he was playing last year, defensively. You know, Girardi says it all the time. It's called catcher for a reason. The the offense is gravy. The defense is where you need him to be and the way he works with the pitchers. Now you have that guy, Brian McCann. You can't trade – you need a – and I'm not saying 
John Ryan Murphy or or, or um, Austin Romine. Austin Romine isn't a competent backup catcher. But Cervelli's been through the struggles. He's been through the trials and tribulations. He's been at that level for extended period of times. And I know Romine got a look last year. But Cervelli could have been the starter last year. That's how good he was playing before he took that foul ball. My dad and I were sitting there, and I just turned to my dad and said, wow, he's really having a good year. And then, bang, Nova throws his next pitch, foul ball off his wrist. They come out. They take him out. We were hoping it was just a bruise. Broke his hand. Mm-hmm. So he tries to come back, and then biogenesis. It's it just the, he's never ha- – if, <laughs> if he did if he had – how does the phrase go? If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. That's Cervelli. But this team, Joe Girardi, and I know he sees it, and if they trade this guy, my eyebrow is going to – I'm going to raise my eyebrow because this is something that Joe Girardi covets. Right. He covets having good, solid catchers back there. He's not going to try to get through the season. And then what if McCann gets hurt? Who are, who are going to be your catchers? Austin Romine and Jarrah Murphy? There, you can't, you just cannot. I want to get your thoughts, obviously. I'm just long-winded with this just because I'm a Cervelli guy, I guess. But do you think, I mean, even if they can get, you know, some middle infield help. And, and I saw today that they're thinking maybe Cervelli and David Phelps, including David Phelps in a deal. That's if Pineda gets the five in the rotation. You know, that would make Phelps a little expendable. But do you think they should get rid of Cervelli? Well, I think they're they're getting rid of depth in some positions to gain depth in others. Um, and the thing is, remember Cervelli two years ago, it seemed like he had the backup job locked up with Russell Martin. Right, and then they sent him down. And they signed Chris Stewart in the last day of spring yeah, training. Yeah, that's the other Cervelli thing that happens, down. yeah. And so he's had back-to-back really heartbreaking seasons. And, you know, the one thing is that Cervelli is, a, is close to Pineda, and Pineda really likes pitching to Cervelli. And that, that's I, perfect. Right. And, and it makes a lot of sense to me that that would, you know, happen. And um, I do think that they look at, at Cervelli as a very valuable piece. I would say I, I would say they Give will not trade Give me a percentage. Give me a percentage I would in say 75-25 they will not trade Okay. Him. Um, David Phelps is an interesting option because they have Adam Warren and right. Vidal Nuno. They're pretty much both the of three which, same right, guys. Are, and Nuno has never gotten hit hard in his career anywhere. Warren is pitching very well this spring, and, and Phelps is the battle-tested guy of all of them. Phelps would make the most sense to trade right. because teams, in, especially in the National League, might mm-hmm. really like his skill set. Absolutely. So, you know, the Yankees look at both of Cervelli and Phelps as kind of what other teams look at their farm system as, a valuable piece that other, te- other teams might want. Yankees don't have a lot of those guys in the farm system, so this is their option to get something back. So there are three possible trade pieces the Yankees have right now. I'm not sure if any of them will go anywhere, but, you know, Ichiro Suzuki, David Phelps, and Francisco Cervelli and or maybe like a Romine if they decide to trade one of their catchers but not Cervelli. So. <laughs> See, this this is like <laughs> a complete 180 from last spring. Right. They had nothing. Right. It was like now we have too much. Now we Let's have get back an a specific excess. piece we need. <laughs> you know, but I think that same – you know, Joe Girardi, I'm, I'm going to say his memory is pretty good. <laughs> he remembers what happened last year. Okay. So I don't think – He's going to want to see Cervelli go. I could be wrong. Who knows? But uh, 
I just think they got to hang on to this guy. Now, I'm going to be in Tampa. I'm flying down on Wednesday of next week. So why don't we do our next one here? I'll call you from Tampa on Friday. I'll have already done the Yankees-Pittsburgh game in Bradenton on Thursday. And then we can get a fresh Yankees podcast on the 28th. How does that sound, everybody? Sounds good to me. Doug, your thoughts? I just got to get the uh, the equipment hooked up back with the phone. <laughs> Call, well, I, I'm the, I'm I the, gave uh, you a week's I'm notice. I'm the technician around here, so <laughs> I'll take care of it, man. Don't worry. Oh, we wear lots of hats here, yes. We do. Everybody. We're one big happy family. But anyway, uh, that's going to wrap up this one. Doug, tremendous job out of you. You too, man. Great this job. was great. This is awesome. It's just having fun with one of your friends in your office exactly. talking sports. We should just name the show Study Hall. <laughs> my name doesn't free have period. to be on it. Yeah, free period. That's what it is. The tournament's on on my TV in my office, and Doug and I are sitting here talking Nets, Knicks, and Yankees. Yep. My my job is awful. <laughs> what can I tell you? Uh, for Doug Williams, at Doug Williams, yes, on the Twitter and uh, myself at Chris Sheeran, yes, on the Twitter. And don't forget also, check out the Yes Men podcast. It's also on iTunes and yesnetwork.com. That is Lou DePietro. And if I'm not mistaken, it's at Lou DePietro, yes, yep. correct? Uh, and Doug We like Williams. to shake it up with our Twitter accounts. Yeah, here, yes. yeah. We're, we're pretty very, creative. Very creative. No, we're not. We're straightforward. Anyway, uh, we want to thank you for listening once again. And remember, you could download this on iTunes. It goes right to your iPad, iPhone or your uh, mobile device that you have every week, automatically. You look at your phone, you look at your iPad. Hey, look, I have a new podcast with Chris and Doug, with, with, with Lou and Doug. It's a great thing. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week live, not live, but taped from Tampa. Adios.